there's a, a phrase that I'll come back to, which is keep the promises you make to yourself over and over and over again. So if I wake up at 5.15 in the morning, I'm like, I don't want to get on that Peloton today. Nope. Keep the promise you made to yourself, which means you were going to do that because you know at the end of it, you've taken care of yourself and you'll feel better. And that lets me really show up well in spaces like this, uh, at my job, with my family, with my friends, in ways that otherwise I could not. Hello, Lauren. Hello, Kelsey. How are you? I am uh, fantastic, well-rested, optimistic. It's sunny. I'm feeling good. How are you? That's awesome. I'm excited. We just recorded another episode of Campus Confidential. Want to tell us who we had on today? JPK. Oh, that what will, does that stand for? That will, that will ring a bell for <laughs> students and colleagues who've known uh, Dr. Julie Payne Kirchmeyer over the years. She goes by JPK, who know her well. She's uh, the Vice President for Student Success at Indiana University. Many people think of IU as Bloomington, but actually it's nine campuses. And so she is the VP for Student Success for the system, uh, all nine campuses. She's the first to hold this cabinet-level position. I'm an IU grad, as people will hear in this, proud IU grad, as people will hear in this episode. I'm really, really thrilled she's at, she's at Indiana. So um, she, I, I've known her, you have known her for a long time, many people. She's been a very visible figure. She was at Northwestern for a decade and has been really involved, uh, you know, in NASPA, the Student Affairs Administration, Higher Ed, and housing groups, and um, just been very, very involved as a professional colleague over the years. So I'm thrilled to have her today. Yeah, it was very fast-paced conversation. If you've ever been around JPK, there's, you know, slow's not really the the pace. It's it's fast, <laughs> and this episode um, proves that to be true. But one thing that I thought was interesting on paper, her career very much looks like a career ladder. It looks like it was mm -hmm, done very mm -hmm. intentionally and mm -hmm. um, thought out. And I think we get into a little bit of the conversation that everything you read isn't always the way it happens right. in real life. So it's yeah. interesting to really dig into someone's story and hear about how they got to where they were and that path. Yeah. Yeah. She, she really did describe that. And the other thing I really enjoyed about this conversation, I have known Julie professionally over the years. We've certainly had personal moments, but she talked a lot about knowing herself. And so that that issue of it looks very intentional and ladder, she even debunks that a little bit and reveals uh, in the interview, in the conversation, um, how much she wishes that was true, but it's not entirely true. So I, I loved that about the conversation today. Yeah. And the best line of the whole thing is keep promises to yourself. Absolutely. I think that's I something that will sit with me for a while. Yeah. Shall we listen? Let's do it. Hi, Julie. How are you today? I'm great. How are you, Kelsey? I'm awesome. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us on Campus Confidential. Absolutely. It's fun to be here. And for those of you who can't see it, Lawrence totally decked out in IU gear. Go IU. Best. That's right. Cream and Crimson. <laughs> we have a long history, by the way. My father is a graduate. My sister and brother-in-law live in Bloomington, graduates. My wife and I met on campus. She's a graduate. So we have this really deep history at IU as well. So we're in it with sort of familial uh, connection. 
I love that. Mine is, I'm the first person in my family to be connected with IU, but I'm like a is it three, third generation person from in, from Indiana. Like I was born in Texas, oh, yeah. but my mother was born in Indianapolis. Oh, I didn't Her know mother that. and father were born here. And like they and my mother, well, not my mother, they and my my two aunts like graduated from different areas all around the state. So oh, like we've got a your Purdue roots? grad. Yeah, I've got a Purdue grad. We've got a Butler grad. We've got a couple of DePaul grads, but I graduated from Indiana State from with my PhD, but nobody from IU, so I'm first. You could run for governor with all these connections, Julie. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Is that, are we getting insight into your next career? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, yeah. running a campaign doesn't sound like fun. <laughs> I'd run someone else's. I just mm. that's fair. That's fair. So, Julie, clearly, I. Uh, at IU. Tell us, we like to start um, each episode with our guests telling us, how do you describe what you do to a rideshare driver? <laughs> Very carefully and deliberatively, because as soon as I say student success, they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Unless they're a student. So my job is vice president for student success. And I think the way I like to describe it is I have the best job in the world because all day I get to think about, plan for, and co-create ways to help students be successful at a college, university, and beyond. And it's kind of that simple and that complicated at the same time because when you have something that broad, it encompasses so much and so many people, uh, but that's also what makes it a lot of fun, right? Um, from the strategy to the implementation to, you know, both being the strategic home for all these initiatives and also being that campus partner. Um, it, it's really what makes it fulfilling. Yeah. 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 It is a fulfilling role. And, and clearly when we look back over your career journey, you've had a lot of experience that has led you to this role. So can we back it up? And um, <laughs> prior to recording, I did mention fish camp. So I I'm interested in kind of at what point in time in your life were you like, this is what I want to do or how did, how did you even start? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I was one of those students in college. And for those that are listening, when Kelsey says fish camp, she's talking about Texas A&M university and college station. We probably should have and started with howdy. Big, this podcast with howdy, howdy, right? And a big gigum, right? Yeah. I mean, Lauren's owning his Indiana roots and I will also yeah. own my Texas and Texas A&M roots here. Um, I, I was one of those hyper-involved students, like, you know, from uh, running to be floor rep of my residence hall to um, subsequently being um, asked to consider other housing opportunities at one point. Um, I was that student also. Uh, to um, really getting involved with my sorority, with class council, um, the Opera Performing Arts Society, a whole host of these things. But when I started at A&M, I went there because they had one of the only genetics programs in the state. And I really wanted to go into genetics. I love science, always have as a kid uh, and still do. And so I was getting through this program. But at the time, you know, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth is when I went to college. <laughs> um, it, we had these it, if you wanted to go into genetics, you were really kind of going into research the application had started, but it wasn't as robust. And so I found myself having to do this lab experience as part of my degree program. And we were growing mold. <laughs> it's called oak wilt. <laughs> Kills oak trees by the grove. 
And it was just over and over and over again. And the two of you have known me for a long time. And you know, I probably don't thrive so well in an isolated laboratory environment, growing mold and putting it in a gel. And so I had one of those wonderful moments. We could call it cathartic. We could call it a freak out, which I believe is probably the latter. <laughs> and I happened to have that freak out with my sorority advisor. Her name is Bonnie Bejarano Sanders. And she also happened to be the coordinator of student life orientation at Texas A&M. And she looked at me after this freak out. She asked me one question. She said, what did you learn the most from when you, you know, throughout your collegiate experiences? And I was a first semester senior at this point. And she said, and I said, truthfully, I think it was everything outside of, I learned about myself. I learned, you know, I, I learned all these skills. I moved away from being that sure. I was outspoken, but terrified undergraduate to kind of stepping a little bit more into my own. And she stared at me and she said, you know, that that kind of work is a career. And I, I evidently looked at her with this blank face and she goes, yeah, I get paid for what I do. And I just <laughs> couldn't believe it. I was blown away. And it just all clicked that these advisors like Ann Black and Dennis Cook and, um, you know, a whole host of others who had been there and had poured into me, they did this because it was an actual career and, a, and to them a calling. And it just clicked. And she talked to me about the master's program there. It was the only one I applied to because Aggies are nothing if not loyal. <laughs> and I got in and I got to learn from the likes of, you know, Brent Patterson and mm -hmm. Jan Winifred, Stan Carpenter, and mm -hmm. all these folks that many of us have known for a long time. And from that moment on, it just solidified it for me that this is what I wanted to do. Hmm. And that experience where you, it clicked for you, was that your senior year? Mm-hmm. So you it were was late in the game, late in the game. Yeah. This was my story yeah. too, but you were late in the game. And, and if that hadn't clicked, uh, did you have other thoughts about what you would do? Was it going to be the genetics path? In my mind, I think it would have had to be, uh -huh. um, it, what that looked like, I wouldn't have known. You know, I, I look back on it now and I'm like, I had some great academic advisors that advised me about classes, but not necessarily about what was next. And so I, I, I often reflect back to that experience now as I'm looking at this big student success picture um, and how we need to think about that differently now, because I think had I had a different kind of conversation, and I'm not casting any kind of negativity toward the academic advisors at that time, that field has evolved just like all of our work has evolved over time. But had I had a different kind of conversation about goals, about what I like to do, been connected over to the career assessments that, quite frankly, I didn't know existed, um, I think I might have had a different decision. I mean, I changed my major five times, but it was mm -hmm. all in science. Mm. And I started in genetics and I went around a big loop and I came back there because I needed to graduate. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. you, you know, there's practicality here. So back but, to the mold. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Back, Back to, the, to the important thing. Get here. through the mold. Let's talk about the mold. <laughs> the mold. Right, well, and who knew? <laughs> well, and who knew that after you know a couple of years later, I go into housing and residence life, and I'm at Lamar University in Beaumont, Texas, and we're dealing about mold. There's, there's mold, <laughs> right? It's humid. Like, oh God, facility work. So, yeah, yeah, full circle. So, yeah, talk to us about kind of your. It seems that to me that that a lot of people are on what we call the career lattice versus the career ladder. But when mm -hmm. I look at your, call it LinkedIn profile, or I, I look at kind of your career path, it feels very ladderish to me. It seems mm -hmm. intentional on paper. Was it that way? You go to Lamar, you're in housing. Talk to us about kind of how that worked for you. 
My God, I wish I could go back and go, yes, this was planned from the beginning. <laughs> oh, it was not. Um, you know, I, I got into the master's program and my first job was in orientation. And, you know, I did parent and family orientation as a graduate assistant. Um, and I, again, like I was as a student leader, I was as a graduate student. I'm like, what assistantship can I get? What practicum can I get that's different than what I understand? Because I knew I needed to know more than student activities and fraternity and sorority life. Uh, and so leaning into that, you know, I, I had assistantships all over the place and realized at some point that all of that exists in housing and residence life. And so that made sense to me to go into that as a career. I thought I was going to go to another like flagship big institution. And then I interviewed with Lamar University and realized if I really wanted to learn something, I couldn't just go into the same thing I'd done before. It would be a different campus, sure, different culture, but one large flagship institution or land-grant institution, there's a lot of similarities between them, even if we don't want to admit it, because we're all, you know, special. Special, uh, unique. Special, right. Mm -hmm. And moving to that mid-sized public institution in a, really, it was, you know, the third tier uh, system in the state at that time. Uh, it, wow completely different experience. It tested my skills at a very different level. Um, and while I was only there for two years and then went to a regional campus and, you know, the University of Southern Indiana and Evansville, both of those campuses were similar sized. I would not have, I don't think, advanced as much as I did as early as I did had I not done that because you get exposed to so much. You're doing so many different things. I ran strategic planning for our division at the University of Southern Indiana. And I was like, five, six years out of grad school at that point. That's not typically something that you would do. Um, and so I really think that helped me just become stronger. The, the other thing that happened a lot, Kelsey, is I either got tapped or I would just see a problem and be like, we need to fix that. And then someone would look at you and go, well, are you going to fix it? Particularly on a smaller campus. And you're like, I guess it's me. And so you end up taking on these different things that again, on a larger campus, I might not have been able to do. I might've been on a committee. I certainly wouldn't be leading it. That is such a great observation. You know, we were kind of joking a little bit about my IU roots, big 10, big research university. But my first job was at a small private institution in New England. And then I was at a regional public, like yeah. you're saying. And, and you're, you're so right. I mean, what you learn in these various kinds of places is... you. You, you couldn't buy that kind of education. Mm -hmm. It just, it's so valuable. How has that, the, talk a little bit about the job you have now. And I know it's nine campuses, very different kinds of institutions. How, how has that helped you, um, you know, as you've navigated this, this, this role you're in? That's a really great question, Lauren. My, my initial reaction to that is, I think it has helped me always carry forward this value of what every single person does on a college or university campus. You know, I think on, and this again, no disrespect to large campuses, love them, graduated from them, you know. Uh, it's easy to get so compartmentalized and specialized and to think that your role is the most important. It's not. Like if, if we put this in the language of student success, you know, people will come up to me and say, well, what's your definition of student success? And I will lean in and say, I'm going to get 50 people together and ask them that question. And I'll get 50 different answers based on the roles that they play. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that they're wrong. No one person is any more or less important than the next. 
And I don't care where you are positionally, what your role is, what your function is, if you're exempt, not exempt, it takes all of us to make this work. And I think being at a regional campus just ingrained that in me. You saw the value of what every single person mm -hmm. did. And you realized you couldn't just leave something up to somebody else. You all were in this, right? I, I was helping clean up a flooded residence hall one day and cleaning a toilet the next. And then here I am in front of parents at an orientation session as the director of housing at USI at one point. And so you just realize the entire ecosystem and how important every element of it becomes in a student's life. And I think that really does help me when I'm looking across a large multi-campus university to be able to explain why every single campus that we have that makes up Indiana University is so vital and important to its community, to its students, to the state, and to our overall institution. So you're an action-oriented person. That's clear. And no, every role. No. <laughs> I don't, I I don't think that's a secret. Contemplate. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. just, you know, <laughs> contemplate life. What's next? Where will you head? Like, let's do some things, whatever that right. might be. We're going to do some things. So were you always that type of person? Is that something you learned along the way, learned from others? How did you get to be that way? Yeah, I usually tended to run in first and then ask questions later, particularly <laughs> as a kid. Like, oh, I'm just in the middle of this again, aren't I? Okay. Um, there's a, when I was um, rotating into the presidency of a regional housing association, um, for those who are listening, if you know Glacujo, oh. great organization, um, I had the outgoing president gave me a, a card. And on the front of it, well, you just saw these two feet because this kid had like head first into the pool. And in the card, he was telling me, you know, this reminds me of you. It's like, just go in. And it, it's been that way a lot. I will say, Kelsey, though, that I have come to understand when I need to really be action oriented and when I might need to test the temperature of that pool water a little bit. Um, and that's come with time. Sometimes it's trial and error. Sometimes it's kind of embracing and, and really coming to understand the leader that you are and the leader that you want to be and adjusting it to be the most effective for the moment. I don't think that's being disingenuous to me. It's just calibrating uh, a little bit so that it's not always the reaction or always the movement. It truly is. You use it when it's important and when it's necessary. Um, and you, you kind of hone the other strengths that you have too. It's showing up based on your values. It's, it's using yeah. emotional intelligence, right? Because mm -hmm. this idea of if, um, I'll use the analogy if you're a bull in a china shop everywhere you're at, we, we got problems, right? Right. And if you're driving, the bigger example for me as an individual, if you're driving the train and you're driving it fast and no one's on that train with you, that's right. It's going to be a long road ahead. Right. Um, so I got some feedback early about like mm -hmm. I, I and, and one of the best, best lessons I ever learned was feedback doesn't mean you're wrong. Feedback is a gift. If people didn't care about feedback you, they would love. tell you nothing. That's right. That's a great way to say it, Lauren. Feedback is love because people care. And early on, well, maybe mid mid career, I got feedback from a, a staff member who said, "Julie, you move fast, and I still do. Um, you can go from A to Z in like twenty seconds. The rest of us need the rest of that alphabet to catch up with you. So help us think about that, and actually help us offer the alphabet along the way." And that, that cemented for me that, okay, my leadership style is great. It's unique to me. It is organic to me. And I will often default to that. 
but it's not any more important than the other people that are part of this team. Well, and I and, have to value that. And, and you were describing circumstances, Julian and Kelsey. You were talking about values, both of which are at play here. But there are there are circumstances. For example, during the pandemic that we're still trying to work our way out of, I, you know, there were like many of us involved in sort of day to day emergency all hazards sort of response planning. And I, I've never been accused of being overly patient either, Julie, so we share that a little bit. <laughs> but there were moments where a decision had to be made. There is not yep. enough information. We have to decide now. And that's, you know, circumstantially. But the value, my value system, I hope, was still at play there. I was trying to make the best decision possible for the people that needed it. And so, you know, I I guess I would... Um, say that there are probably times, let me just put out there, that there are times where that rush in first, make a decision fast, has got to be got to be the way something rolls. And then there's all the times where that's the absolute, to your point, Kelsey, the, the worst possible thing you could do because mm -hmm. it's hard to recover from it, right? So, Right. Or it, it becomes, if you do it so much, it just becomes about you. That's and that's true. not the work that we're in, mm -hmm. right? It's not about me. Yeah. I, I have a leadership style. I have skills. I have defaults let's say, mm -hmm. um, which if they go too far, become false. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and so you have to learn what those are. Yeah. You have to learn, you know, if anybody out here is a strengths finder human, you know, I've got strengths, you know, shockingly enough, activator is in the top five. I know you're mm. all floored by that. <laughs> I'm shocked. Um, guess Kelsey. Right. <laughs> but so is strategic. Yep. So yep. is communication. Mm -hmm. So is woo. And so is includer. And so those things, when I learned that, like, oh, if I balance these, I'm in a much better position as a leader. And then I have to, I, I need to seek people out who don't have those because then the picture becomes far more complete. Yeah. Do you do that actively when you're hiring? I mean, you know your strengths. Do you, How do you assess strengths in other people when you're selecting a team? Um, how do you do that? And, and do you do that? I do. Uh, we don't say here, take the strengths finder and we'll either qualify you or disqualify you. We don't do that. <laughs> but I think there are, there are questions you can ask. There are examples that you could ask for that let you know how folks navigate in these environments. And typically when people answer them, they will answer from their strongest perspectives and you get to hear what some of those talents are. So understanding, you know, strengths and, and being trained in that. I'm actually a certified, you know, facilitator as well. And so, you know, it, it's not that there's some code that I'm looking for, but you get an idea. And so like when uh, I started here, there were staff that were part of my team that had just been put together, like four of us. And then I knew I needed to hire a couple of others. I intentionally looked for people who were different than me. I needed that. I can't have an entire little group of Julie's running around here because we'll all just default to activator and like start, you know, bowling people over. We need the people who take a breath. We need those folks that show like that deliberative quality or have those analytical skills to slow us down when needed. And then they need us to push. And that works really well. Mm -hmm. So Julie, when you're working with people with, first of all, love the approach, agree with it completely on creating a well-balanced team, how do you create space? So I feel like I heard you say, that it was a staff person that gave you the feedback early mm -hmm. on in your career. How did you create an environment that allowed people to feel like they could give you that feedback? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are a couple of things that I've learned to do over time. Uh, some of that happened organically, like 
as you're a leader, you're sort of learning about yourself and then you realize, oh, that was a good thing I did. Let's keep that. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and one thing I learned again from another colleague was I have a document. It's called JPK 101. It's <laughs> hilarious. It's crowdsourced um, from folks who've worked with and for me with, on teams over the past like 20 years. And uh, I give that to everybody that reports directly to me. And it's it's rooted in my strengths. So we start strengths language there. Like this is what it looks like when it's good. This is what it looks like when it's not good. And examples for me, they're like preference things or expectations. You know, Lauren, you'll appreciate this. You know, there's a whole list of things like words I don't like, like dorm. I can't believe I said that out loud. I hate that word. Um, but but it also helps them know so that they a don't. Four letter D word. Four letter D word. Um, so that they say residence hall or hall mm -hmm, instead. Mm -hmm. Um and then there's just some funny stuff, right? That also I think let people in on the little quirks that that I have. Like I'm a Texas A&M grad. I do not like the color orange. I don't like being put in orange rooms. And quite frankly, I look like death if I wear the color. So we just stay away from orange. So I've never been a candidate at Oklahoma State or Miami. Or the University of Texas or <laughs> oh, that's true, University yeah. of Tennessee. You know, I mean, we could go on or not Syracuse, like, no. <laughs> um, and then, you know, other little things like phrases that I will say. Um, I am from Texas. We adopt a lot of colorful ones. Uh, goat rodeo is used a lot to describe things, um, you know, stuff like that to translate. So again, it's sort of that you're getting familiar with me, even if you haven't really worked with me yet. And then how do you role model the behavior that you want to see in that room, right? I ask for feedback a lot. And then when somebody like for the first time offers it in a space, there's a lot of gratitude for that. And not, not in a disingenuous way, but just, you know, thank you for offering that. I hadn't considered that before. And so how you respond to the feedback can either help encourage more or it can completely silence a space. And so I really work hard to cultivate that. You know, when I mess up, I will own it in front of my team that I just did it today. You know, we had a meeting last week and I didn't mention something that was really important for the team to know. And that was on me. I just skipped right past it. And so I owned it today uh, and apologized to them for that. And they appreciated that. And then we moved on to the next thing. But it's that role modeling the behavior you want to see that I have found, I think, to be the most effective. And then sharing, just being open with the expectations and the things that you need people to know. Um, that's been the most helpful. I, I love the JPK 101 <clears throat> idea. I've never heard of this. I bet it's a really wonderful icebreaker when you're new to an organization or team. And you're new at IU about a year and a few months. Is that right? Uh, you're in a couple of weeks. You're yeah. in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. What could you talk a little bit about how you, how you, how you become, how you are as a new person? What do you do as a new leader to an organization that you have found to be successful or helpful or, uh, and, and maybe the, the converse of that too, for folks who may be going through transitions or will in their future, um, what, what advice do you have and how do you do it? Yeah, uh, it's you know, obviously still fresh because when an organization is this big, it, you know, the newness is still with you for a while, right? And then before that, I'd been at Northwestern for 10 years, so it'd been a while. Um, so when I thought about the transition to IU, I tried to be intentional about a few things. One is, again, trying to establish those connections with the team that I was working with first and making a plan for that. So the JPK 101 document, something else that I did is I connected each one of them back with a leader at Northwestern mm. 
that I knew uh, that had either a similar role so they could have an honest conversation. And I always asked the Northwestern person's permission first before I shared it. And they know good, bad, and ugly. It does nobody any good if you give them the rosy like reference call, right? They need to know what it's like to be in that space with me. Um, And that I think that level of vulnerability starts to establish trust early on. Um, And then Lauren, I knew there were a series of people I needed to meet with and that I needed to ask them, who else do you think I need to meet with? Because I don't know this environment. And that was happening nine times. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. And, And so how do I get connected with those folks? How do we bring the team together to go to all these campus visits and have these deep conversations and you know, sometimes they're really high level. Sometimes they're, you find a vein and it's almost like being a hyper consultant, right? You're coming in and you're introducing yourself and at the same time trying to learn as much as possible. Um, I also sat down and kind of thought through what are the things that um, I want to make sure I don't do, right? I'm not going to walk in the door and, and um, ascribe negative intent on anyone. Ever, I believe to come at everything from a frame of positive intent. Every campus, every leader, every staff member, I believe makes the best decisions they possibly can make at the time that they make them with the information they have at the time. So for me to step in and proclaim myself the expert and look at what anybody's doing and say, you're wrong, how dismissive, how, I mean, just, it's not fair. Um, And I can't, um, you know, think about times when we've all been in that situation, how it makes you feel. Have you experienced that, your that in your career? Enough? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we all have, you, certainly. You learn just as much from bad oh, leaders yeah. as you do from good oh, ones. Yes. I think. Maybe more. <laughs> and, yeah. And there are a lot of things I learned. I'm like, I am never doing that in that space. Right. Um, but I really wanted to make sure that that's how I was going to approach things. And so I challenged the team to kindly let me know if I wasn't doing that and that we would do the same for each other when we went and had these visits. So, um, and then, Lots and lots of questions. I asked for feedback from people at key points, um, particularly the folks who'd been on the cabinet and had been at IU for a long time. Like, hey, you know, I've been here three months now. You got any feedback for me? Like, am I, you know, this early on in my tenure, do you think I'm approaching things the right way? Am I really messing up somewhere or completely missing something that you think I should be paying attention to? And again, I think that helped, that vulnerability helped to establish that level of trust. Um, and then I do everything I can not to violate it mm-hmm. Just and to offer that in return. Yeah. 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 And then, yeah, give that grace. Mm-hmm. So Julie, as you think about, we've talked a lot about the, the work piece of it, but who's behind Julie, who's doing this with you when you think about family or friends or support network, how has that played a role in your career, or your journey to this point? Okay, it's huge. I, I can't, all of those facets are huge, right? Like I will give all props and kindness and grace to my incredibly patient and deliberative husband, <laughs> Tony, who, you know, th- we all have to have those people that we could just walk in the door and either lose it with, or I really need you to hear me out on this one or to push me, be my mirror in this moment. He serves that role really well. I have also a group of um, friends who identify as women, and we've been tight-knit and connected probably for maybe 15 years now. I've lost count. That means it's been a long time. Uh, And these are the folks that I can call who will absolutely call me on my BS. 
They will. I mean, I, I can sit there and, you know, when you're trying to rationalize your behavior or a decision you've made and, you know, I, I can name three of them right now who would say, I'm going to stop you right there. This is what I'm hearing. <laughs> and then you just kind of have to sit back and say, yeah, you're right. And they, they also help talk through really difficult decisions. Um, even my decision to leave Northwestern, a place that I love and people that I love to this day, um, to move, to come here uh, and take on this new experience. I, I had some really intense conversations with one of those friends of mine who has the ability just to kind of walk me through things and crystallize my responses in like one line or two. And it just makes it so evident. And then my bigger network of colleagues and peers, you are two of them, right? And and I know many others through my experiences with Akuhoi and particularly in NASPA uh, in particular that I know I can call. I've called Lauren out of the blue, just texting him, Lauren, I, <laughs> I don't know what to do with this situation. Um, you know, uh, I've called Kevin Kruger before. I've called um, Anne-Marie Klotz. I've called a ton of different people in those spaces based on the issue just to be able to say, all right, I need somebody who has either seen this before or has had to puzzle through something this complex before or weird. We all have the weird things. Uh, who can give you that really great feedback and, and frame of reference. So in, in that way, yes, I've cultivated it. A lot of it happened organically, and I'm grateful that I've kept up with it. If that when makes you, sense. Yeah, it does make sense. When you say organically, is it because of your involvement in associations, your volunteering? Like, how did you, I think a lot of times people just get stuck with the Yes, I know I need a network. Yes, I should know more people outside of my campus. I have no idea how to even start or how yeah. to do it. Yeah, I was not the one that kind of went forward and said, I'm going to meet with 10 people at this conference and I'm going to write them down and I, I'm going to send and I'm terrible at that. I will own it. I'm awful at that. Um, I think both of you know, if you text me and I don't respond, it's not because I don't appreciate you. It's because everything else is right here. And, you know, two weeks later, you'll get an answer. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but it's as you would engage with people in those uh, professional experiences, could be a committee work, could be, you know, leadership role, could just be you're sitting with somebody at a coffee shop, or quite frankly, as many of us have at a bar, and you're having a great deep conversation, and it just clicks, you find your people, you know, you have the commonality of the work, but then you find folks who really kind of add a richness and a dimension to the work. And I found them at all different points in my career. Some early on, I've got folks that I grew up in this field with. Uh, and then I have folks that I met through NASPA work last year that I reach out to and connect with. And so there's value in those organic moments. And that's where I've found my, my folks randomly waiting in line for a buffet. I mean, just, mm -hmm. you know, I, and I love that. When, you know, you, you talked about, describing your role to a rideshare driver is that simple and that complex. And of course, those of yeah. us in higher education or around it a lot know it's it's sort of elegantly, simply stated, but very complex, as you yeah. said, and sometimes chaotic and stressful and all these kinds of things. When it is that for you, to whom or to what do you turn to stay grounded, to find your balance again, when it's not about work, but it's about sort of getting getting centered once again, where do you go or who, to whom or how? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a good distinction in there. There's the who and then there's the how, because mm -hmm. those aren't necessarily yeah, the same right. thing. I think those same networks that I just talked about are the ones that I, the who that I would go to. Um, 
But I think there's there's a an element of the how. Um, you know, there's that whole principle of we all know, and particularly folks that do this work, um, we can do hard things. We've been doing it for a long time. But getting to a, an understanding of you can do hard things, but you can't do it at the expense of yourself. And I had to, I had that realization I had to come to several years ago when I was at an institution and I was having what I now know to be a panic attack and I didn't know what they were, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like I would have a sensation in my arm, wasn't a heart attack, but I had a sensation in my mm-hmm. arm and then I, I was, you know, short of breath and I had to lay down and I just thought something medically was wrong with me. And then when I switched environments, mm. the hard stuff was still there, but that went away. Mm. And that kind of told me something about where I was maybe professionally at that institution, um, the levels of support I was or wasn't getting, and maybe even the level of attention I was giving myself. And so when you ask me, how do you stay grounded when it gets crazy, mm-hmm. I will default back to, am I taking care of myself? Am I prioritizing the things that I physically need, that I emotionally need, that I you know, spiritually need, mentally need? Um, and if I'm not, I need to do a reset. And I'm grateful that I have folks who will remind me that I need to do that. People that I talked about earlier, but more and more, I will find it in myself. And there's a a phrase that I'll come back to, which is keep the promises you make to yourself, right? Over and over and over again. So if I wake up at 5.15 in the morning, I'm like, I don't want to get on that Peloton today. Nope. Keep the promise you made to yourself, which means you were going to do that because you know, at the end of it, you've taken care of yourself and you'll feel better. And that lets me really show up well in spaces like this, uh, at my job, with my family, with my friends, in ways that otherwise I could not. Yeah. Yeah. There, I think there are people sometimes that don't have in their lives others who are more interested in them than their career. Mm-hmm. And and you described people that are interested in your spiritual health, your mm-hmm. emotional health, your physical health, who Julie is as a human being. And without that, I think it's hard to get the cues, right? The external cues that you need a reset here. You're sort of off balance of noticing this. So Mm -hmm. good for you for finding those. That's great advice for people that are are listening in too. How have you, um, whether it's in a mentor role, leadership role, advise people when they're like, "Mm, I just don't have time to Mm. take care of myself. Yeah. Right. I think that's the biggest, I'm working late hours, there's lots that has to get done. I'm never going to meet X deadline if I do take time for myself. What are your what are your thoughts on that? How do you I tend to be really direct in those moments and, you know, direct with love. Mm-hmm. But, you know, no one's going to do it for you. You know, you can either continue to burn the candle at both ends and you will face what I faced and I tend to be honest with them about my own experiences there as well. Again, it's a level of vulnerability. I think it's important. People can see you as a whole human being and know that you've also struggled with things. We didn't just get plopped down fully formed into these positions and in these roles. We all had a journey. Uh, so I appreciate what you all are doing because it, I think it helps round out who different leaders are at different levels of their career and know that it's not easy. Um, and there are choices that we make along the way that either help support that evolution or they don't. Um, and so somebody says, I don't have time. Well, here's what's probably going to happen or in, in some way, shape or form. Um, if you don't have time for your family, you're going to isolate yourself. If you don't have time to take care of your yeah. health, you're going to become unhealthy and be mm-hmm. unwell in every facet of that. And then how are you going to show up for other people? 
Um, if you are talking to students all day about their own wellness and well-being and you're not doing it yourself, you will not come across as genuine and students will not believe you and they will not trust you. And so again, then at your work, you're not being effective. So it doesn't matter if you're there 18, 20 hours a day, you've got to really just like, embrace that self-care. And I say that carefully um, and we can get into why maybe later on. Um, otherwise you can't be this position that you want to be or do all these things that you want to do or finish that project on time because you'll burn yourself out. And sometimes people believe you, sometimes they don't. Um, I think the first thing I try and encourage them to do is look, you know, I'm so-and-so in your life. I might not be a mentor. I might be somebody you just asked the question to on that day. Cause you know, in student fairs, student engagement work, we kind of do that. We tend to be pretty trusting up front to begin with. Um, but find people in your life that you do trust and ask them that same question. Because coming from somebody that they love and trust, the message is 10 times more effective than, than it would be coming from me. That's right. And, and I think we've, Lauren and I have been talking a lot about in a certain group of people of, you know, what do employees need right now? What do people need in this environment for the most part? And it's, it's simple and hard. I feel like that's the mm -hmm. theme of this conversation, right? Yeah. I want to be seen. I want to be heard. I want to be communicated with. I want mm -hmm. to be empowered yep. to do the work. And so to be able to be a leader that can do those things for people is, is huge. Yeah. Um, and I think at the core of it all is you got to remember, it is not about you. It is never about me. That's right. It does it. I don't, you know, I can't remember who the person was that quoted it. So I'll just say it was Abraham Lincoln. Cause you know, the internet says Abraham Lincoln said everything, <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, it's amazing what you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit and if you can hold on to that and, and really do all the things that you just outlined, Kelsey, you know, for, and with the folks that you have, you know, really the, you know, honor of working with every day, um, then your results will be better. Your team will be stronger. You know, people care about what they help to create. I credit Penny Rue with that statement. She's the first person that said it in front of me and I will embrace it forever. Is that, again, if it's not about me, it's about that bigger collective we, then everyone needs to be involved in some way in, in creating that, that new thing, that new space, that direction, that vision. Um, well, yeah. everybody might credit Abe Lincoln, but I, I'm just going to credit Julie from now on. You know, it's amazing what you can get done, Julie says, if if you don't care who gets a credit. So you're you're gonna be the new source now, Julie, for that. <clears throat> it's it's recorded. It's gonna be in a podcast. So you're gonna be the source for that. Well, this conversation has been so fun. It's good to see you again. You have <laughs> you been too. just a delight, um, you know, through this conversation as you have through our lives. I, I think I speak for Kelsey too. And Aww. you've helped us think about how to start roles, how to value all the environments we've been in, how to give and receive feedback and how to importantly keep the promises that you make to yourself. And um, I'm really grateful for that. And I will say too, I know you mentioned it was hard to leave Northwestern. I certainly knew lots of folks there too and can understand that. But as a IU grad, I'm really, really happy that you're at Indiana University. And uh, I feel very confident in the institution and the leadership, uh, particularly with your arrival there. So um, thank you for your leadership at Northwestern and at IU and uh, your, your insights and your, your gifts today. So thank you. 
Oh, thanks, Lauren. Coming from a diehard IU grad and somebody who's worked here, and by the way, whose picture is on the wall of the IMU, which is really fun to go look <laughs> it's at. It's a little weird. It's fun. I'm like, oh, it's Lauren. Uh, less great here. It means a lot to hear that. So thank you for that. And it's really been a joy, both this conversation and, and being part of Indiana University. It really has. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. Hey, before you go, and it's going to upload, don't stop recording yet. Julie, have you ever been in a movie? Yes. Yes? Mm-hmm. Like a, a, a Hollywood movie? <laughs> mm. What other kind of movie were you thinking? So, well, I don't know, home movie? Yes so fast. <laughs> it, it was regional. Oh. Um, it was called Victimize. I am on IMDb. It's out Yes. There. Okay. Mm-hmm. I saw it online. I didn't want to bring this up in the... I saw yeah. it, there was a an online... I was, I was doing my research too, trying to find student interviews, should. and it came up. <laughs> And uh, your net worth is $16 million, it said. So. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. <laughs> Maybe you could retire. <laughs> Good Excuse job. Me while I go call the president. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a donation a, I want to make. There's a picture and everything. It's There's your picture. Mm. It has the movie. And it says you're an actress and your net worth is $16 million. So... Good job. Who knew? Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to wait now for the development office at Texas A&M to call once this is done. <laughs> That's right. Give them time. Give them time. <laughs> hey, Lauren, are you ready for some extra credit? I'm ready. Yes. <laughs> I feel like you... Um, you have a question for me again, which always... Yeah. So Julie said she has a document called JPK 101, which before anybody goes and looks, it's not on her LinkedIn profile. You have to be working with Julie, right? I wonder what's on the KHF 101 document. Well, I don't, I, I don't have said document. I will say I have used one thing that she talked about um, is when I've moved to different roles. I have introduced previous staff to the new staff and say, mm. ask whatever questions you want, dig in, find out the way I act when I'm stressed, find out the way I act when I need something important, um, that sort of thing. Um, so I really believe in that. Um, it's a f- way to form community, create mm-hmm. connections, and then mm-hmm. have people understand you a little bit better. I think some things on the 101 is I can be full of ideas. Like I want to do everything and I want to do everything fast. So, you know, if we have an idea, I'm like, can that be done in like two weeks? Mm-hmm. I need people to be able to tell me realistically, no. And this is the timeline and this is why. Because if you just agree with me on the two weeks and then you don't meet the deadline, we got problems. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely one of the pieces that would be on the 101. Yeah, yeah. Push back on me so we have real deadlines, realistic you know, deadlines. You know, in the last role I had in higher education, one of the things I did was a little presentation about who I am. It's a it's a little different approach, but I decided I just needed to dispense with the mysteries. And I even said, I don't, this is the way I view myself. I think I am. The feedback I've gotten suggests I might be. You'll come to your own conclusions, but we could talk about any of these and just so you don't have to spend six months wondering. I, I did a PowerPoint, literally. Okay, I'm a little too fast. Like I move too fast and you're going to have to tell me to slow down. Um, things I value. I want I want your best thinking, which means 
you know, sometimes that's data, sometimes that's experience and instinct, but you have to give me how you came to that conclusion, especially when it's a big risky decision you're asking me to take responsibility for. Um, I told them, um, so this might be on my 101, uh, values and ethics are immovable for me. This this work matters. We're, we're using real money, affecting real lives at a real university with real people that are involved and implicated by your decisions and mine. So they have to be, we're not playing loose, you know, with ethics. I mean, I did some of that too, but it never occurred to me to, to crowdsource it, like she would say, which I thought was fantastic. Yeah, I think it's a great tip. Uh, maybe we could go back in time and crowdsource our... <laughs> our lists uh it was fun well until next time until next time campus confidential is presented by compass group produced by Corey insco and jen fisher with your hosts kelsey Harmon finn and lauren roland 